0: Hi, everybody. My name is Aaron Zimmerman, and welcome to the Our Story Isn't Over podcast, uh, where we talk about anything mental health and things going on in the world. Um, so with me today, I have my co-host, as usual, Zach Karinczak. Hello. And Tristan Schnoek.
1: Hello.
0: And a special guest today, uh, Keegan Wicks. Hello. Um, so, Keegan, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do?
2: A- absolutely. Uh, th- thank you, Aaron, and and Zach, and Tristan, and to to Youth Move for for having me on here. Um, my name is Keegan Wicks, and I am a person in in long term recovery. Um, my my recovery has been established since December of two thousand nine. Um, I'm I'm in recovery from substance use as well as mental health, uh, and. I am a project coordinator at Faces and Voices of Recovery. Faces and Voices of Recovery is a national advocacy organization centered out at DC. Uh, we provide a variety of different service, but but largely uh, our focus is on empowering individuals in recovery and, and putting a, a face and a voice quite literally to, to their recovery process, um, making sure that they are at the table when it comes to things like uh, public policy, making sure that peer recovery support services are readily available in each state and in each area. uh, And we provide that through a variety of association, technical assistance, and some other items as well.
0: Awesome, awesome. Thank you for joining us and um, congratulations. And um, I'm glad that you were able to um, maintain and continue your recovery. Um, So with What we're going to talk about today, everybody, is um, October is Recovery Awareness Month. Um, So whether it's mental health, whether it's substance abuse, um, we're just going to talk about all forms of recovery. Um, Maybe Keegan can give us some recovery tips and uh, things that help him and kind of go from there. Um, So I think my first question is, uh, what is recovery to you guys? Um, So I guess we'll start with Zach. What is recovery to you?
1: I think recovery, uh, at least to me, is about being able to function. So like being able to, you know, remember to get a shower every day, going to work, um, because I have major, like I I haven't hit the fact that I have major depression. And um, when my depression is really like active, I kind of skip those things. Cause it's just easier to skip them than do them. So to me, like recovery is about uh, functioning on some level or, or as since I'm a millennial, we call it adulting, you know, being able to adult uh, on some level where, you know, like I said, I'm functioning. Um, I may not be a hundred percent, but I'm, you know, able to function.
0: Okay. Thank you. Uh, Tristan. What's recovery to you?
3: Um, Recovery to me is a certain level of comfortability. Um, Like, I struggle a lot with anxiety and insecurity.
1: Um, Hold on. Sorry about that.
3: Um, so recovery to me is like, I have this goal of, of actually having confidence in myself. Um, but that is a process. That's not just, okay, one day I'm going to wake up and feel confident. Um, so to me, I guess that would be the, the process of recovery is not is is actually bigger than the destination that you're that you're hoping for. Um, because I learn a lot more through the process and I don't know if I'm ever gonna get to that destination. So that's just my goal. I, I just the process of recovery and the process that I go through every day and wake up and tell myself that I'm good enough or tell myself that I'm worthy, that is like i guess you would call it the meat and potatoes in my opinion
0: awesome awesome thank you uh keegan you what's recovery to you great and and really really wonderful
2: answers so yeah i think i think for me i think recovery is everything uh re- recovery is incredibly holistic and, and it's all person-centered um and it, what what i find fascinating and exciting is that recovery can change That the, the depth kind of the working definition of can change Depending upon what situations I am, uh, what what uh, what I'm involved in, what my diagnoses are, what I believe recovery is for me, you know, re- recovery always being person-driven, um, you know, what I uh, what I say recovery is is kind of largely what recovery is, uh, and and it's kind of ever-changing. Um, you know, my process of recovery may be fundamentally different than than Tristan's or Zach's, and uh, and that's exciting, you know, and that there is um, you know, a, a definition from sub, uh, from SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, which kind of simply puts it as a process of change through which individuals improve their health and wellness, live a self-directed life, and strive to reach their full potential. And I think for me, that, that, that's a good description of, of what I face on uh, a regular basis or, or what I have opportunity to experience and continue to work towards as a goal uh, in my life. And you know, it's something that... In, involves, um, you know, it, it, it's multifaceted. So r- rather than just what, for, for me, for a number of years, what I had kind of assumed recovery was, uh, which recovery in and of itself was a foreign concept to me. Um, when I was struggling with mental health, I thought it was uh, not wanting to commit uh, uh, to, to um, complete suicide. Um, when I was using substances, I thought it was just not using substances. And, and to me, I had discovered that it was a lot more than that. And, and that not only that, but through this kind of recovery process that Tristan was referring to, um, I, I had opportunity for a lot more than that. Um, so, I, so I think kind of my, my, my quick summary is it's, it's a, a culmination of things for different people, be it harm reduction through... Um, needle exchange services or safe consumption sites for those who continue to use substances, uh, from peer recovery support services providing hands-on lived experience from professionals in the community to uh, safe housing and other uh, financial resources like occupation um, and uh, and you know, and community. You know, um, so National Recovery Month was the month of September uh, and. And in National Recovery Month, this kind of joint theme that was celebrated all across the world was um, join the voices for recovery, uh, celebrating connections. And I think uh, what, one thing that I had heard before is, um, you know, connection is really what recovery is all about. You know, establishing connections with individuals and forming those, those really, um, those safe, enjoyable, um, content connections with others is what allows us to foster um, and empower recovery.
0: That's awesome. I, I mean, I don't really know how else to put that, but that's a that's fantastic. Um, I definitely like the fact that you you put it to where recovery can be different for everybody. Um, so when it comes to um, recovery, what? What are some things that you guys do um, to kind of help yourself throughout your recovery? Um, I mean, whoever wants to go first, I will.
1: I, I think with me, uh, when I was younger, and like when I'm talking like, well, I would probably say light high school, uh, probably most of college up until about my senior year, um, I really coped with a lot of alcohol, um, with with along along with my mental health, because um, you know when you when you're depressed and you feel bad, and when you drink you feel good. Um, at least that's how I felt, and the more and drinking was um, acceptable. So you know. I grew up in a household and culture where you know you don't do drugs, um, but alcohol was pretty uh, relevant and um, everybody I knew when they hit age 21, uh, every weekend they were at the bar um, until, I don't know, like until my, probably until like they're in their like, you know, late 20s or almost early 30s, like that's where they went. but I got out of that kind of way of coping. Uh, it, you know, had adverse effects on my health, uh, weight gain, diabetes. Um, just wasn't, you know, I wasn't eating healthy. And you know, when you add basically a ton of carbohydrates in a liquid form, and you can you drink an entire case of it, not not a good situation uh, health wise. And. Um, it just wasn't like helping me mental health wise. And I think probably my senior year of college, I realized, um, you know, this isn't great. Uh, I can't, I won't be able to really function, I don't think, when I get out into the adult working world. Um, so uh, I think you know, I went along and I got some advice i i I started working in mental health and I, i learned better coping mechanisms so uh you know going for a walk is you know just as good as releasing those endorphins and making you feel good um so i do that uh especially like right around like now and i tend to go to the gym more in the winter because you know the sun sets a lot earlier and it you know doesn't rise as early so we have less daylight um, so I really like head up the gym to kind of like get that kind of rush. So I, I, I do a lot of basically weightlifting, walking, um, try to kind of stay active to kind of like, uh, help me with, with my mental health.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Um, and just a disclaimer, we do not condone alcohol use. We don't condone any substance use, um, or anything, especially under the age of uh, 21. Uh, Tristan, what uh, what do you do?
3: Um, I have a support system that's pretty awesome that I purposefully created because um, for a long time I only had my mom. Um, so now um, she's included in that still, but uh at this point i have multiple different people who aren't just family members um because i find that family is a fluid term in some ways um and i also do things that make me happy like that sounds dorky but it's true (laughs) uh so i read what's that
0: i was gonna say like what
3: Like I I read, um, I garden, I have three dogs, in case you haven't heard them yet, and a cat. Um, And I also keep plants inside my house. I'm working to like, you know, 50 of them. (laughs) So they make me happy. Um, And then I use Certain coping mechanisms when I'm really struggling. Um, Sometimes I write things down uh, and that helps a lot. It's not like a daily journal or anything. It's just uh, sometimes just getting that out on paper is very helpful. Um, I do practice a lot of deep breathing and that's also very beneficial, (laughs) Um, especially when I'm, you know, getting frustrated or, Uh, with myself or someone else Um, and then the last thing that I do that I do all the time 24-7 is I always have a worry stone with me Uh, so I can pull it out of my purse or my pocket at any time and just kind of feel that connection um, to the mindfulness that I need at that moment so it's basically like a physical item that I can use to help myself get back into that mindful moment that I need. Um, And actually my husband and I have two, like we each have one. So it's kind of nice to know that it's almost like a connection to him as well. Um, So that's some of the stuff that I try to do when I'm, when I need support.
0: Awesome, thank you. Um, Keegan?
2: for me, uh, what, what I have done to maintain wellness or retain wellness and sustain my recovery has really evolved a lot over the years. Uh, and I think it continues to evolve uh, for, for any number of reasons. One, my, my stage of life continues to change, but two, the, the, the problems I face, um, the, the issues that I encounter in my life continue to, to change. and. Uh, so w- w- worth noting that I entered into recovery um, or at least began my recovery journey at the ripe age of 17 years old. Uh, and I was an, you know, an adolescent be, beginning to turn uh, 18 uh, and was faced with a number of things that I had never really imagined that I would be faced with before, uh, like recovery. I, I, I never really fathomed that I would be in a position where Getting help or having a problem with mental health and a substance use disorder would kind of be at my doorstep, um, and and so from residential care um, to psychiatric facilities to regular outpatient and um, you know meeting with medical providers and establishing open communication and dialogue between all of my providers to navigating uh, my family and receiving family support. Um, so, so it, it's kind of it's evolved uh, a lot over over the years, and um, it, you know, a couple things now, or kind of through my journey that I've I've really discovered. Um, the, the first is um, one. I, I I actually I think that this is important. So so I have I've held a variety of roles uh, in my professional ke- career related to the recovery field, um, mm-hmm. whether that is direct service. Uh, that I've been providing through clinical care or support in a partial hospitalization setting, or uh, being a recovery specialist, and now uh, on a much larger um, scale, out of direct service, providing national advocacy work. Um, you know, it, it's important to say that you know currently, what am I doing for uh, for my recovery? Well, currently, I'm in counseling. You know, so so as a person who continues to advocate and navigate life. Um, you know, I, I myself am engaged in that process of being in therapy and having a safe person to, to talk to and navigate with. And, and I think that that's something that for, um, I, I think, continues to receive a lot of kind of negative publicity around that or, or professionals can get hung up on that because they are in this professional setting, they themselves no longer need to access this type of care. And so I love uh, hearing what you all are talking about, that there are things that continue to, to occur and ways that we continue to address how how we retain that wellness. And so being involved, and I've been kind of, you know, as, as time has ebbed and flowed, um, in and out of uh, receiving therapy for for any number of years. And, and it's been a wonderful experience where I've continued to have opportunity to grow and develop. Um, Personally, I, I also am actively involved inside a recovery community. Um, and I have opportunity to talk to others who continue to be a part of their own uh, recovery process who are now a part of mine. Uh, and I have opportunity to, to share and develop and grow with them. Um, and, and I think the other thing that has really, uh, has, has derived from my own recovery is wanting to provide access to this to still others, and so I've I've been able to find that through advocacy work, through you know I, I've I've been uh, an advocate in Pennsylvania and in my local uh, city in, in Harrisburg and uh, and nationally um, f- at least for the last seven or eight years now, and um, and I found that to be an incredible opportunity to provide um, to provide access and effect change to people who may not be able to receive or who may not have the, the, the access to services that, that I received. Um, you know, my, I, I think everyone needs someone in their life. Uh, and I, I was fortunate to have those resources. And I think that it's really important that that all have opportunity to, uh, to have access to that, whether that's peer support or their own local recovery community or physicians, therapists, whatever that looks like.
0: That's fantastic. And thank you for, for sharing that, Keegan. Um, Thank you all of you, all of you for, for sharing. Um, But no, I think it's important to, to understand that um, there's many different things that people, that individuals can do um, to help with the recovery and to help maintain it. Um, Any, um, advice? Any tips? Any um, I guess kind of directional points that you you guys would like to provide to our listeners um, when it comes to looking for recovery or anything like that?
2: Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll gladly jump in. So, um, you know, I, I think I think the the, the first piece of the puzzle that I, I'd like to talk about is that the, the words we use matter, uh, and and so similar to kind of the the title of of this podcast, um, you know, one of one of the things that we talk about internally and 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 externally at Faces and Voices of Recovery is that that our stories have power, and that the words we use matter, uh, and and thankfully there's a tremendous amount of evidence behind language use and. Um, I I won't get into kind of the the nitty gritty of that, but but what I can share is um, helping eliminate negative public perception is incredibly impactful to people in the recovery community and people yet to seek recovery. And that can be identified in a couple different ways. Uh, One is to to talk about when an individual is discussing their problem or potential problem with substance use uh, rather than referring to them or uh, or when publicly speaking, referring to themselves as an addict or alcoholic, talking about being a person with a substance use disorder um, or being a person with a mental health condition uh, or um, you know, rather than calling a person uh, crazy or, or in kind of common language talking about, oh, yeah, I was so bipolar the other day. Um, you know, eliminating those types of language from from our um, from our dialect, I think, is really important. Um, as a matter of fact, currently at Faces and Voices, we have an initiative, uh, a call to action for people to sign on to a petition to change the names of National Institutes of Health and have them remove the words "abuse" from their titles. Um, because what we found is Talking about abuse when it talks about substance use is really damaging and helps, um, helps further stigma that people are somehow, um, uh, uh, what I'll say as kind of using substances as a choice or, uh, or it, it criminalizes the issue, um, but kind of putting it as matter of fact helps create this being a public health issue that it is. Uh, it's, you know, it, it's not uh, negative behavior that we must punish and criminalize, rather um, experiences that we have to help people through, much like anything else in their lives. And so, you know, I, I, don't, I don't refer to someone as a cancer when they are an, a person who has cancer. Uh, and so I think the same is when I talk about people with mental health and, and substance use and even my own self. And the, the, the language we use matters, and I think that it's, it's one of the easiest ways to make one of the biggest impacts in our life, in our work we do, and to show that
0: people are of value. No, that's awesome. Um, I, I mean, I'll sign the petition. Like, you should send it to me. <laughs> yeah,
2: I, I, I tell you, I, I would love to send that petition along for you to distribute to your members
0: yeah i'll sign it don't you ain't got to worry about that um no but that's fantastic um and yeah the how we talk and the words we say it, it does they hold a lot of power um there's very few things that you can't get back once they're gone in this world and that's time and it's words words said can't be unsaid um And it's something that I think we need to think about more. Um, Zach, you have any, any input?
1: I I 100% agree with what Keegan said. I think, you know, language is very powerful. I know, I I know like when you reframe alcohol abuse, um, where I grew up, they turn it into a joke. Um, You know, like we say, you don't abuse like you, like it's not a serious topic when you use abuse it's it's like culturally i don't know if it's just the area or the people i grow up around it, it, it's just when you use like alcohol abuse or drug abuse alcohol abuse is you know treated as a joke and somehow turns into a joke and people make it a joke and don't take it seriously When you say drug abuse, they think this person is always strung out, can't hold a job, is never working. I agree. I think the terms have to change. It's the same thing with mental health. Like when someone says they're like, you know, I know an individual who has bipolar and when they're on their manic day, um, a lot of people say, oh, they're being very crazy. They just need to calm down. They just need to chill out, you know if you understand that that individual has bipolar and you know right now they're kind of manic your response and your language will be completely different uh compared to just not knowing the person well enough or they haven't disclosed that they have bipolar disorder or I mean I have been I've been have target I have been targeted by that kind of language when I'm really depressed and sad like you know just smile a little bit you know just think of think of better things or like and to me that just tells me that the individual doesn't understand uh, depression or if I say I'm depressed, it even though we talked previously in a previous episode where I have suicidal thoughts and self-harm, because I say I'm depressed, it automatically goes into I'm thinking about suicide and then I'm going to do it. Uh, But I, I totally agree the language around everything I think needs to start changing and we need to be more positive about it. And we need to, you know, what we say can have an impact on people and especially when you're really young still, because we're, we're, our brain is developing and we're trying to develop that self identity from our parents. Um, you know, if someone said you're crazy, that, that may have a big effect on how you perceive yourself and how you go forward.
0: Yeah, and it's again like I can't agree with Keegan, I can't agree with Keegan more. Like, it, what you say matters, Tristan. Um,
3: I have to agree with that like wholeheartedly because I find that in the area that I grew up in, which is um, Schuylkill County, you say someone is a drug addict or they're a drug abuser or whatever that whatever word you choose people automatically look down on that person. Um, but if you say someone is an alcoholic or an alcohol abuser, it's like, whatever, you know? And, and a lot of people from my area don't even think about alcohol abuse or alcohol use or um, alcoholics in a lot of ways that they are. Like they kind of specifically think of this stereotypical older guy who opens and closes the bar um but that's not always it and i think that language if the language would change people would better understand what it even means to be an alcoholic or someone who struggles with drug use things like
1: that
0: mm-hmm. yeah like sorry keegan go ahead sorry i was just
2: gonna i J- jump in again here because because this is um, it's, a, it's a topic that I'm really passionate about. And, and I got to say when I started this journey. It was a topic I was not passionate about. It, it was a topic I didn't see any value in. Um, and I think one of the ways that we affect change is by having conversations individually with each other and and these are, you know, the, we, we've been We've experienced the way we talk For as long as we've been talking, and so changing this language presents challenge. And um, and so you know, even when we say words like abuse and abuser, it indicates that someone is abusing a substance, which isn't an appropriate reflection of really what's happening you know, using a substance is just one small part of a layer of a larger issue that is is often based um, in trauma and other mental health experiences in, um, in, you know, genetic issues and so on and so forth. And, um, and and so I think when we use terms like a substance use disorder, or a mental health condition, or being a person with bipolar disorder, um, it, it really allows us to elevate those voices. And and the the kind of second piece that I'll say um, that I want to make sure that I I stress, especially here in Pennsylvania, um, individuals who are in and around recovery, your voice matters when it comes to voting. Um, Voting is a critical component of, um, you know, our American rights. And, And I think that recovery community has a voice that it gets to speak up and share with others. And one of the biggest ways that we affect change is through uh, electing officials who support and understand and are able to dedicate funding to recovery voices, um, to individuals in and around that process, be it treatment, recovery, prevention, or anything in between. Um, and so I encourage you to check out um, you know, what, what things look like in, in this election cycle. And, um, you know, regardless of where you stand you know, and continue to lift all voices in all advocacy efforts. You know, Faces and Voices has some great resources where you can go onto our website and look at Recovery Voices Count for some clearly cut intentional ways on how to get involved, how to get up off the couch and really affect change this election cycle. Um, And and really highlighting that um, recovery should be a critical topic of discussion at all levels of, of civic engagement.
0: Thank you for that, Keegan. If you can send me your website, I will make sure to put it in the show notes. Um, put a link to the web, for your guys' website in the show notes. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's, it's very important. We're at a, a tipping point in America right now. Um, and... We need to begin to lift other people up, um, not just our not just ourselves, but when you do good for others, it helps you feel good. And that's something that can be built upon. Uh, you start giving back to your community, you start helping other people like that. Those are things that can help you in the long run. I mean, like, am I right? yeah it, it, absolutely and and you
2: know and unfortunately our our country has a history of um of oppression and marginalization of communities, whether that's black brown indigenous or or people in recovery in the mental health world um or, and and everything in between and I think that we we have this wonderful opportunity to highlight and elevate um these these critical experiences so that all can continue to be at the table. And you know, e- even in Pennsylvania, it, it's a common misnomer to think that individuals with felony convictions don't have a right to vote. And that's not true. Uh, individuals with felony con- convictions absolutely have a right to vote in the stencil- state of Pennsylvania. And uh, when they have completed their time in incarceration, um, their rights are immediately restored and they have access to that. And so if you're listening, if you have a felony conviction, Um, it doesn't mean that you don't get a vote because you do.
0: Awesome. I actually was not aware of that. Um, So thank you for that. Um, But I think at this point, it's just, you know, we as a people need to begin to focus more on building your communities up and doing what you can for your neighbor. and, And it's the small things like that that'll go a long way. Um, especially, I, th- I think, um, giving back could be a good part of your recovery too. I mean, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, because I, i but I'm, I think just giving back is part of it. I know, um, I worked in a, um, a drug and alcohol facility before, uh, joining youth move. And one of the things they did was um, our inpatient clients every year would go and help um, with the um, the local churches, uh, Toys for Tots Drive, um, just to give back to the community. Um, so I think that's something that it, 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 I think giving back is a big thing um, for everybody. And, Zach.
1: No, I, I, I totally agree. I think, you know, I, I come from a background, uh, before I started my mental health advocacy journey, I worked a lot in politics. Um, and when I started, you know, coming to terms with the fact that I would have mental health um, for the rest of my life with depression or whether it's someone within my family, I asked, like, why don't we fund these services? They're so critical and important. Like, you know, it, it can be the difference. Um, someone, you know, getting it, it's sort of like education. So, like, we, we, the earlier you get someone in education, like Head Start, they do better long term. So, if you start, you know, helping the individual early on, they're going to have better outcomes long term instead of treating it as a crisis every time it happens. And, you know, you start getting a cycle and it starts costing money. And, and the individual told me that they're a bleedless cut. They can cut that money. Um, the individuals working for told me that, you know, they can uh, just cut that money because there's no pushback from the community. Um, it, you, you have to be involved if you're gonna, if you, if you really care about yourself, or a friend who has any number of these diagnoses, uh, you have to be involved. Um, if you're not gonna be involved then you're not really gonna make the changes that you need to see. Um, but that's just kind of how like my feeling is like, 100% agree, you need to get involved. Um, sign the pledge that Keegan talked about earlier. Um, you can. Uh, Keegan, is there a way for our listeners to get involved within your your group on on the state level
2: uh yeah so so that that's a great question um I, i think the best way to to get engaged with faces and voices of recovery and find out what's happening in uh in your neck of the woods is to sign up for our mailing list uh which can be found on our website and um, you know, we, we provide services nationally, um, but the, the great news is that there are a lot of really incredible organizations all throughout Pennsylvania that we work with. Message Carriers of Pennsylvania, Pro Act out of Philadelphia, uh, Pro A, the Recovery Community Organization, uh, statewide RCO of Pennsylvania, and the RAISE Project right here in Central Harrisburg. Um, you know, th- these are incredible organizations that, that carry the voice of recovery. Uh, for for those uh, you know, uh, organizations like pmhCA um, you know and 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 youth move you know so there's really wonderful ways to get involved in your local area so um, so sign up for our mailing list get involved uh, and reach out to some of these other organizations to how to see how you can be of help
3: um I have a question that I want you just to bring up a little bit of um, so just maybe it's not a question but Um, I guess what I'm interested in saying is that we all need to remember that recovery um, is a process. Um, And what I mean by that is like, we talked about that earlier, but what I mean by that is sometimes people go backwards. And I think that, you know, your typical person who doesn't struggle with mental health or um, substance use issues, um, they don't, sometimes understand that sometimes the process involves going backwards and then they get angry or upset or things like that with their loved ones. And I don't necessarily wanna forget about talking about that because that's very important um, in helping you know, everyone understand what's happening to uh, inside of the person who's struggling.
2: Yeah, I, I think that that is just really uh, a, a wonderful point and, and, and actually uh, another opportunity for language use, like we were talking about earlier, um, w- one of the terms uh, that is kind of commonplace and, and generally has a negative connotation is that if somebody uses substances again after a period of time of not using them, we, we call it a relapse, but, but that, that can have such negative connotation. I, I offer to you an alternative, which is a recurrence of use. Um, again, it can be a, a challenge to kind of implement that in my daily language, but I, help, I think it helps clearly articulate what we're describing. Um, you know, a recurrence of use isn't a failure on the individual. Rather, it's a part of a process. Um, and, and, and in that, um, you know, I would equate that to um, being a person who has a diagnosis of cancer, uh, if their cancer comes back up again, we don't generally blame the person for that occur for you know for that you know it doesn't become a failure on their part. Rather, it just becomes another piece of an expected possible outcome, you know, which is that after a period of time of being in remission from cancer, that that you can experience symptoms again. And I think that that happens with recovery, with with substance use, and and mental health as well. In that you know, this is a lifelong process that is unknown. Um, and it makes sense to me when I think about um, you know, it, that there is an outburst, uh, or, or a better way to describe it is um, a new experience, perhaps, if somebody with a bipolar disorder has um, uh, an episode of mania, or somebody who uses uh, a substance use, or, or who has a substance use disorder, returns to using um, heroin again. You know, that this doesn't mean that, um, A, it doesn't mean that they've failed, B, it doesn't mean that they've, um, you know, they've somehow done something they shouldn't have. Um, you know, it, it's just another piece of that puzzle. And I think the more that we can encourage and, um, and normalize that, although recovery is the expected outcome, provided enough resources and support from the community, um, these things can and do happen and that's okay.
0: Yeah, I I one hundred percent agree. I actually really like that terminology, reoccurrence views. Um, especially for somebody who um like myself who has worked in a, a DNA facility. Um, it, it's I've also seen the um the backlash from a community. Um because they were very on edge about a treatment facility um, in their area and it, it's like they I don't know if that's if it's the area in general or if it's just lack of understanding um, that you know, people who struggle with substances are still people.
2: Yeah, and I, I think that there's, there's an issue that we run into where uh, you know, we often think that it's the outside community that really may misunderstand. I think really like we are our own worst enemy um, through, through lack of supervision, through lack of proper education. Um, you know, there there exist problems. In the recovery field of when it comes to mental health and substance use and um, you know and, and it unfortunately presents problems um, and, and there's there's systematic problems you know that we we generally punish people for acting out on a behavior that's related to their behavioral problem um, and so um, that has to change you know to the, the idea of like for me as, as a young person, uh, when I was in residential care, I was um, unsuccessfully discharged from a residential provider because I had a behavioral issue while I was in the facility. Um, and, uh, and, and mind you, that, that, was, that was a behavioral issue that didn't put others at risk, um, but it was a behavioral issue that they had a ground rule for, and I, you know, I broke that. And um, you know, I, thankfully, I, I, I'm here, and I have survived through that. But that mm-hmm. isn't everyone's experience. Um, The the sad truth is that if I wouldn't have had a loving family who essentially acted as peer recovery support providers for me, coaching and helping me navigate through systems as an adolescent, I had no idea how to navigate through my story probably would have been different.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, I can agree. We are definitely our own worst enemy. Um, We can, we can hope to, to, do what we can for individuals um it's just it's hard because i can understand certain things that would cause an individual to be unsuccessfully discharged from a facility um I, i've seen it firsthand um But then there were things that, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that I saw, but those were out of my control. Um, So it's, there's still a lot of growth to be done for everybody when it comes to this field and, um, And all other fields. Um, So, sorry, here. But I think it's it's a good place to to start. Is we we do need to learn. Um, Good. I know you you were unmuted. So,
2: (laughs) yeah. No. I. So I. I'll send you another some information about some some research behind kicking people out of um addiction treatment um and, and how you know ultimately it leads to an ineffectiveness of, of our uh program and ultimately people receiving help um and you know i i would offer um you know another thing speaking of like individuals in their recovery process and and what we can do to support is is really encouraging family to get involved and and i understand that you know like, like i had said earlier kind of everyone needs someone um you know, I, I, was, uh, I was fortunate to have a family that was interested in getting involved in my recovery process and, and, and actually continues to be involved today. Um, but but I, I recognize that that isn't everyone's experience. There's some great material out there. Uh, there's a book called Beyond Addiction um, that, that is a, a really wonderful read that talks about how families and loved ones can support um, their, uh, their sons, daughters, spouses, to achieve and sustain recovery through a process called CRAFT—Community Reinforcement and Family Training—and um, which is really a culmination of motiva- motivational interviewing and some other things—that so I, I would recommend that. But also, um, you, know, you know, not everyone has access to 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 that. Not everyone has a family for for one reason or another who who can provide that, and and that's really where I re- recommend strongly. Um, Peer recovery support services, both in the mental health space and and in the substance use space, and um, you know it, they they are the advocates, the cheerleaders, the mentors, the, um, the 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 shakers and movers of for people's lives who can help them navigate care um, and really receive resources that ultimately help sustain people's life and recovery. Whether that's you know finding um, employment. And learning job skills through um, through a local office of vocational rehabilitation, or uh, or whether that's finding a recovery program that's suitable for them, or kind of anything in between. So um, the, the great news is that there are an abundance of peer recovery support providers all throughout Pennsylvania that, that can be tapped into. Um, and, and really what that is, for anyone who may not be familiar, it's an individual with lived experience in a recovery process, um, helping other individuals who are seeking recovery to navigate care.
0: Awesome. Learn something new every day because I wasn't aware of that either.
3: <laughs> you you are just giving us so much awesome information. This is fantastic.
0: Right? Um, well, everybody, so we're at about 40 minutes um, for the episode. Um, so, Tristan, clothing, cl- uh, closing thoughts. <laughs>
3: um, I guess my closing thoughts would be that I really appreciate Keegan and all of his knowledge and um, his willingness to share some parts of his personal story. Um, so... And I think that um, recovery, people need to keep in mind that recovery can happen and again, it's a process um, and sometimes it's not easy. Um, so don't be so hard on yourself.
0: Thank you, Tristan. Zach?
1: I just want to thank Egan for uh, spending some time with us on this podcast. I know um it's an area that we need to expand and work on when it comes to these services. You had a lot of good advice, um, and I look forward to having continued dialogue and discussion um, around these topics as we as we continue to do our podcast. I think you. Um, I, I thank you for sharing that uh, petition pledge with us um, and giving us some good information to put up on our website.
0: Keegan, what are your closing? Man, I can't talk today. Uh, closing thoughts. Oh, I, I want to thank you all and Youth
2: MOVE again for the opportunity to be here. Um, as, a, as a person in long-term sustained recovery, I'm really grateful to be able to be a part of this conversation and have dialogue with all of you because um, I, I think that th- this is the the opportunities that present themselves that, that really have um, power to make change in what we do. Um, as, as National Recovery Month has come to a close, which you can find more information about at nationalrecoverymonth.org, um, you know, we, we enter into October, uh, you know, the, the, the month of substance use uh, awareness prevention. Um, and, and I think that there is still value and power in getting involved and, uh, and learning more about these conversations. So what, what better time than now to, to learn about that um, and, and finally, I, I, would, I would offer prevention works, treatment is effective, and people can and do recover. Recovery is the expected outcome provided the amount of support and resources that we dedicate to each individual. We know that five years of sustained recovery, recurrence of use drops by 85%, and that should be the expected outcome that we're always working towards. Thank you.
0: Awesome. Um, thank you very much, Keegan. And Thank you for sharing your story and your knowledge with us and just being part of the podcast today. Um, So everybody, um, to our listeners, thank you. We hope to uh, keep you engaged. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. Um, And just remember that it's okay to not be okay.